drop and do a couple of press-ups. No. No, you see, those were the old family service days, weren't they? That's when we'd have got up to that sort of malarkey. But no, this is all very serious now. Uh, we can't do any of that. Uh, but I, am, I thought at least I would dress the part this morning, since we are talking about having eyes on the prize and racing. Um, now, there are two or three uh, uh, places in Scripture where, where St. Paul likens the Christian life to a race. And it's a, you know, it's a metaphor that, that seems to resonate with him. Uh, and I suppose, really, it does lend itself, doesn't it? Because it incorporates many of the disciplines that are central to the life of a successful athlete uh, in comparing it to the Christian life. So there's the need for a single-minded focus on the goal, being motivated by the glory of winning, necessity of good habits, having a good coach, having a good team around you. And Paul wants his readers to make sure that their spiritual lives don't look like this. Welcome to Munich for the 27th City Olympiad, an event held traditionally every 3.7 years, which this year has brought together competitors from over 4 million different countries. And uh, here we are at the start of the first event of the afternoon, the second semi-final of the 100 yards for people with no sense of direction. Uh, I'll just give you the competitors. Lane 1, Skolomowski of Poland. Lane 2, Zadopatik of France. Lane 3, Grobovich of the United States. Next to him, Drabal of Trinidad. Next to him, Fernandez of Spain. And in the outside lane, Borman of Brazil. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Oh, dear. You know, one of the great privileges of preaching is the opportunity to just share video clips that you really like. And I, that is one of my favorite Monty Python sketches, the 100-meter dash for people with no sense of direction. Let it, let it not be said of us this morning or ongoing in our, in our spiritual lives. So the passage that we're going to be focused on this morning is, as Claire said, from Philippians. We're picking up uh, chapter 3, about halfway through. And Penny is going to come and read to us now. But I want you to listen for, as she reads, those words and phrases that do evoke uh, the race and the idea of focusing on the prize. Penny. Right, it's from Philippians um, chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. If you want to follow it in the Bibles, it's on page 1180. I'm sure it's going to be on the screen as well. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. 
and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Penny. What fabulous, wonderful passage, and many of you will be familiar with it. Uh, But I hope you heard in there some of the the aspects of the prize and the race, and we're going to draw some of those things out now. So first of all, let's take uh, something very basic, and that is that the race is on. The race is on. Now, two weeks ago, if you can cast your mind back that far, Claire was preaching. Uh, Last week was Remembrance Sunday, so we we had a skip out of the uh, the Philippians um, series, but Claire preached to us on the passage immediately preceding this one. And I will, I will remind you that she helped us ask the question of ourselves, in whom do we have our confidence? And we looked at the importance of stripping away the reliance on ourselves and the sin of pride and relying on the world and recognizing that the only one in whom we can have complete trust is Jesus Christ. And so what we're, seeing, what we're picking up here is Paul uh, is picking up from that last passage And having heard that Paul has put his trust in Christ and can see no other place that is worthy of that trust, it's now looking at how Paul is saying, look, knowing that and understanding that, how can I do anything other than follow Christ in a single-minded, determined, relentless way with both passion and motivation? And at the beginning of our reading there, Paul said this, didn't he? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and so somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. And we're going to talk about that a bit later because that's getting into what Paul sees as the ultimate goal. But we'll return to that. The verse that comes after that, though, says this, Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect. Good. That should be quite comforting for us, shouldn't it? So here we have St. Paul, perhaps the greatest disciple who ever lived, making clear that he himself has not yet reached the finishing line. And he wants us to understand that whether we're new Christians or old, that race is still on. We are still in this race. And if there's any tendency among any of us, and Paul particularly had in mind in in his readers, uh, those who felt that they were so mature in the faith that really, you know, there wasn't an awful lot else to learn. This was his warning to them to say, no, actually, A sign of spiritual maturity is that you realize you're not done yet. There is still more to achieve. We have not reached the finishing line. I'm not there. You're not there. And the goal is still ahead of us. A good athlete doesn't slow down just because they're in the lead. And in fact, to do so, of course, could be disastrous, could send us off track. Think simply of the the story of the hare and the tortoise. We don't slacken off. We don't get lazy and we keep our eyes on the prize. The race is still on for everybody here this morning. The second thing that he wants us to think about is to forget past injuries and failures. Now, who who recognizes this man? Who is this? Sorry? 
Louder. It's the old joke. I wasn't going to crack that one. It just came to me there. Nicky Louder. Yes. Now, the Formula One driver. He was injured in a crash. Uh, Some of you are probably old enough to remember, I'm sure. Uh, 1976, the German Grand Prix at uh, Nürburgring. His Ferrari burst into flames. He came very close to death. Very severe burns. He inhaled a lot of toxic fumes. I mean, it really was a very, very critical crash. And, of course, he carries the scars to this day. Six weeks later, six weeks later, he was back in his car for the Italian Grand Prix. He was the reigning world champion the year before. He, he, he blew the... Or he wasn't able to, com- to, to compete well enough to win the world championship that year. But he did win the following year in 1977. Here's what he said in an interview... As soon as I realized that I was alive and that I only had aesthetic damage, I started straight away to think about getting back into racing again. It's the mind and the spirit of an athlete. And there was a very recent example, actually, I don't know if you saw that, but if you, if you were watching the, the uh, Rio Olympics, the woman, the Belgian woman who was leading the road race had a horrific crash as she came down the hill. I don't know if you remember that and broke three vertebrae, horrendous. She's just in the last couple of weeks, I believe, um, won the Belgian national championship. So uh, a very recent story. But Paul, St. Paul here tells us very clearly, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Now, when Paul says forget, he's, he's, he's not talking about wiping away all conscious memory, but he does mean that the past is another country. The past is done, it's dealt with. And that's difficult, isn't it? Because we all carry baggage. We all want to carry baggage. And some baggage that we don't want to carry, we can't seem to let go of. One way or another, the emotional and the spiritual scars of past failures, of injuries inflicted on us, on things that we've done to other people, we can carry around. And things that we think, therefore, disqualify us from this race, or at least weigh us down that we're not going to run fast enough. Now, think about this. This is Paul writing this. Now, Paul had plenty of reason for regret, did he not? Paul, as Saul, was personally responsible for the systematic oppression of the early church. He was complicit in the murder and the imprisonment of early Christians. You remember the story of Stephen. Yet he can say, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead. Good athletes have to recover quickly, both mentally and physically, from the injuries that they sustain. And we've got to do the same. We have to do the same. We cannot allow the things that have weighed us down in the past to hamper us from moving forward. And that's tough. It is tough. But we need to get into the discipline of laying those things at the foot of the cross. And if there is stuff in your life, if, if later there will be a chance to reflect, and I really think that you should, examine yourselves and think about those things which may be weighing you down. And if they're not offloaded, if they're not given to Jesus, they need to be. And he has promised to take those burdens on himself. So we've got to try and get past, we've got to forget those past injuries and failures, strain towards what's ahead. Oh, okay, the next thing is that, we, that, that Paul wants to do is to establish a good life regime. 
Paul writes here, um, uh, among a couple of things, you know, join with others in following my example. You know, look at me, take me as your coach, see what I do. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Look around yourselves, look at good examples and role models. Model your lives on what you see that is in line with what you have been taught. Because, of course, being a good athlete is not just about turning up on race day, is it? Hoping that your body will respond and somehow miraculously propel you over the line in first place. And let's face it, those of us who spend most of our lives behind desks or pottering around the shops or in the garden and generally enjoying the things of of the good life here in the home counties... um, We'd be very lucky, really, to reach the end of our road without collapsing in a big heap if we haven't put in some training first or thought about how it affects our lives overall. So to be a successful athlete is a full-time commitment. It's a life commitment, and it impacts all aspects of your life. Now, I went online, and I I found... um, a list, this is classic uh, online stuff, isn't it? The, the 10 habits, 5 habits, 5 top things. But what I found was a site with the 5 habits of highly effective athletes. Now, I'm sorry the writing is a little bit small there, but I didn't want to drown this, uh, this sermon with, with uh, lots of slides on this. So I'll, I'll just briefly talk you through it. The first one says set goals. Because committing to fitness without setting a goal is like planning a road trip without a destination. The second one says be consistent. Sticking to a regular workout routine is a major deciding factor on whether you reach your fitness goals. The third one says, find your flock. By the way, these are not my words. I I have just edited down for length, but this is what was on the the athletic site. Find your flock. Working out with a friend or a group of motivated individuals means you're likely to meet your fitness goals. Fourthly, be honest. Do you really not have enough time to work out today? Make sure you can look yourself in the mirror And no, you gave it all you had. And then that fifth one says, don't be afraid to fail. Nobody likes to fail. It can be humiliating and frustrating. But avoiding the challenge for fear of failure will eliminate a lot of potential opportunities. Now, you don't have to be, um, what should I say, a theological genius here, or an academic, uh, or or even, dare I say, think this through for more than about... 30 seconds to realize that that list really doesn't need an awful lot of amending if we try and put that into the context of our spiritual lives. And I don't want to be too prescriptive here because I'm sure you can see for yourself how some of these things might work out. But just a couple of examples. What about setting goals? How many of us in our spiritual lives, in our Christian discipline, set goals? And what would those goals look like? And it might be something very simple. It might be, I want to make sure I invite at least three people to attend one of our Christmas activities here at St. Paul's. It might be, for my own edification and spiritual development, I'm going to aim to read at least two uh, good Christian books every year or one every summer. It might be finally committing to that vague notion you had of attending a Christian retreat or some other course that you really have had your eye on but never quite seem to get round to. Uh, in my case, I've been saying to Jan Ransom for about the last three years, I really must come with you on one of your missions one of these days. When? But I haven't made that a goal, and maybe I should. And those are the things we've got to be thinking about as we determine 
what is important. We set goals in other areas of our life. Do we do that in our Christian lives? Secondly, be consistent. What could that be? Prayer times, quiet times, Bible reading. Find your flock. Find your flock. Being wise about who you spend your time with. Are your relationships helpful or unhelpful in your Christian walk? Now that's a tough one, isn't it? Because, you know, Paul's words here are quite strong. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. Those are not people we want to be hanging around with. Now that doesn't necessarily mean, of course cutting people out of your life and I know that that's challenging this is a sensitive area because I know many of you are facing home situations for example in your families where you haven't necessarily got that support but it may mean that if that's the case you need to balance that up how involved are you in ensuring that you do get the support that you need through the church are you involved in one of our life groups do you have a prayer partner are you making sure that in other areas of your life you can surround yourself with those who are your flock? It's important for an athlete to be around the people who are working on the same disciplines. It's important for us too in following Christ. Be honest. Isn't that a good one? Be honest. You look in the mirror. Did I really not have time to work out today? Did I really not have enough time? To call that person today who needed to hear from me? That I really not have time to pick up my Bible or to do that quiet time that I've been committing to on a, on a regular basis or on a, on a daily basis? Or did you just choose to spend your time doing something else? Distracted on your iPad, as was said, suggested earlier. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail. Nobody likes to fail. It's humiliating. But of course, God wants to stretch us. What's he saying to you now? What has he been calling you to do? What are those things that as you've been praying, as you've been thinking, what are those things that you feel he is putting into your mind? And you're immediately going, no, Lord, no way. That's not me. I can't do that. Now, the truth is, maybe you can't. But how are you going to know? Because God is always looking to stretch us. He's there to support us. And it doesn't mean we'll always succeed. But you know what? You will learn more through that failure than if you hadn't tried. I'm sure when Carol and the team set off to set up the all-night cafe, there was no guarantee of where that was going to go, right guys? And here you are celebrating your first birthday. Fantastic stuff. But fear of failure can be a terrible, terrible threat. I won't say any more about that. But you get the idea. The habits that are instilled within an athlete. We need to think about what that means for us as Christians and collectively as a church. The next next one. Remember which team you represent. Now, I love this photograph. (laughs) I think this is a photograph from the days when training consisted of smoking 20 woodbine before the race. And having a pint of mild. And uh, how could anyone run in those shorts? I mean, seriously. Uh, (laughs) Very loud voices. Very high voices, I suspect. Where do your loyalties lie? 
where do your loyalties lie? Because in sports, teams tend to have a dynamic, a cohesion, a one-for-all, all-for-one ethos that makes the whole greater than the sum of its parts. Even in individual sports like athletics, right? I mean, think about the Olympics. Think about Team GB and the ideal of Team GB being elevated, even though people are in very disparate, very different disciplines. Here's a quote from a sports journalist uh, called Mayak Homburger. Again, you might find that difficult to read, so I'll read it. Those who represent their nation with pride do it because they enjoy it, for the love of it. The drive to be better and improve both personally and as a team is what pushes them. Knowing that their teammates are doing the same around the country spurs them on as individuals to better the team. They get up on the cold, wet, early mornings to train, knowing that others are doing it as well and that as a team they want to be better and do better. Brothers and sisters, take a look around you. This is your team. This is your team. It's called the church. And I wonder to what extent that statement would really apply here or in many churches throughout this land. How, to what extent that you feel in your Christian life, the sacrifices that you put in, you get up and go, I'm doing this one for the team. Because I know there's 10,000 other people around this country who are going through that same process and I am kin with them. And the whole is greater than the sum of the individual parts. Wouldn't it be great if we got up in the morning and had that kind of mental attitude around this team? But interestingly in our reading, Paul doesn't use the word church. He talks about us being citizens of heaven. And I, do, I just want to, to talk about this for a moment because it's actually quite important to what Paul is trying to say in this passage. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? And it's one that Paul will have chosen very carefully. He actually says our citizenship is of heaven. His original readers, of course, were in Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony in northern Greece. If you like, it was a little corner of Rome in a foreign field. Now, we Brits, of course, know all about colonization and empire. I remember the first time I went to Malaysia, and uh, I think it was in, in, uh, in Kuala Lumpur, coming across this absolutely immaculate cricket pitch with a beautiful mock Tudor clubhouse. I mean, it just looks so uh, out of place. But during colonial times, our ancestors created these little replicas of the mother country through architecture, through sport, through culture, generally through the way of life. And second, of course, second and third generation uh, uh, members of this ruling elite, they were born in these colonies and they may never have set foot in Britain throughout their whole lives. But, and this is the key, they would very much have considered themselves to be British citizens. If you like, they knew which team they belonged to. They knew where their allegiance lay and they knew that they could call for help from the mother country in times of trouble. So Paul wants us to think about ourselves in that same way, as a church. You see, it would be very easy to read that phrase, citizens of heaven, and many do, as essentially a way of saying, you know what, as Christians we don't really belong here. We're all, all we're really looking forward to is the day when we go from here, we die and we just disappear up into heaven. 
But if you read this passage very carefully, that is not the language that Paul uses. In verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the heart of Paul's message is that as citizens of heaven, our task as a church, as a team, is to create that heavenly kingdom here on earth to the best of our ability and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that, don't we, every week? We're about to later in this service. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remembering always that as heavenly citizens, our allegiance, our first allegiance is to Christ and knowing that one day he will come back and the heavenly kingdom will be completed with, as, it's, as we read in the book of Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth. So we come in now to that final vision that Paul wants us to see, that he's racing for, that he's leaning towards. Keep your eyes on the prize. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. And those are the words we heard in that song earlier, weren't they, from Bren Brown, that adoration. This idea of heaven on earth helps to understand where Paul is coming from, what's behind his hope, what he believes wait for him, waits for him at the end of the race. The prize he's devoted his Christian life to and now pursues with, it, with such passion and intensity. Let's look again. I want to look again briefly uh, at the, the, the verses that are the beginning and end of the passage that we looked at this morning. Let's put those on the screen because in verses 10 and 11 he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And then later in verse 20, 21, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now remember with Paul, he's met Christ, right? He's met the post-resurrection Christ on the road to Damascus. He's longing now not just to know him better in a head sense, in an intellectual sense. He wants to know him in experiential way, to experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, to emulate his Lord and Savior. Because, you know, he's convinced that Jesus will come back to complete what he started, to claim the world for his own. And that when he does, these shabby, weak, non-athletic bodies we occupy will be transformed into glorious resurrection bodies that will last an eternity. So stand firm. Stand firm, little church. Stand firm because you know what? We are citizens of heaven. And one day, the heavenly kingdom that we have strived to establish and nurture together in this unbelieving, cynical, frequently evil, God-forsaken world will be rescued and changed once and for all. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we race on. We continue to work as partners with God in his mission to establish the kingdom here on earth. And every time we put on those street angels jackets and stand out there at three in the morning, Every time you're out there visiting a neighbor and bringing love and service to them. Every time the, the, the all-night cafe opens its doors and welcomes in people who have nothing. We are helping to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth. This is the mission we were put in place to do. And it's what we have to continue to do and work on as a team, as a fellowship, as a church.
eyes on the prize. But take heart. Take heart, fellow citizens, for we do not race alone. Not only do we have our team and our church around us and the assurance and support of our Lord, we read this, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took a hold of me. And I want to, as we finish here, I just want to show you this illustration on this next video clip. Also in one of the inner lanes and Chinese competitor. And off they go. And who's going to be the one to get away first? We're looking for a time of around about 24 here. And it looks like it's Guilherme uh, from Brazil on the inside lane. Look at the determination there. It could well be a Brazil one and two. Brazilian in lane four going really well indeed. That's Guiamina and uh, Santos in the outside lane also coming through well. But the oh, now what? So what did you see there? T20 race from the Paralympics. Every partially sighted athlete is matched stride for stride by their guide runner. They're joined by a short leash, and this is the joy of the Christian race, isn't it? Because We're laying claim to what Jesus has already given us. As we sprint for the finishing line, we lean on him for support. He's the initiator. He's the coach. He's your personal trainer. He's your counselor. So keep your eyes on the prize, fellow citizens. Keep your eyes on the prize. I'm going to ask Pete to come up now and just just play some music for us. And I'm going to put just some questions and some thoughts on the screen. And what I would ask you to do is just, uh, I'll read them out, but don't, you don't have to, it's not a questionnaire. Please don't go through all of them. Just pick out, as I've spoken this morning, look for those things that have resonated with you that you think you need to explore a bit more. How could I get more discipline and focus into my Christian life? What might be holding me back? What does it mean for me to be part of this church team? What would our communities look like if we focused on establishing God's kingdom on earth? What does it look like to be an active participant in this race? Pete. 